0: you're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Well, good morning. I hope that you've been enjoying this game plan series. Uh, I have really enjoyed it. My first option was to do a Stanley Cup series, but that's a little early, and maybe when Seattle gets the new team, right? We can go from there. So... But as we get going, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to pull them out or to turn them on, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. Because today we're talking about the big game party, the Super Bowl party, and here we see how Matthew had one, really one of my favorite parties, so we're looking at Luke chapter 5. But if you've been with us, in the first week we started it all off talking about the coach, and who's our coach? Jesus. A lot of coaches have to get yeah. Jesus is the same answer. Of course, he's much more than a coach. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe. But in the Bible, it talked about, about Jesus being the great shepherd. And today, in our, in our vernacular, the coach fits that. He leads us. He guides us. And then in week two, we went from talking about the coach, where we talked about calling the play. And then that we talked about how Jesus, he talks to us. He speaks to us. There's a strategy laid out for our life. But we need to be able to hear and to listen so that we can know the play being called. Because have you ever seen a, te- a team? They didn't do the play that the coach called and it didn't go out that well, did it? So we need to be listening to our coach hearing the play. And then as we looked at, ge- at week three, we talked about the position. This was about the will of God for our life, how we find it, how God has uniquely designed us as his masterpiece. And there's a purpose for our life that we can find and we can be in. And then last week, week four, we came to team conflict. How many of you have ever experienced some team conflict in your life? Conflict is part of life, but through Jesus and through the shield of peace that he gives us, we are able now to be agents who have received this peace, and now we are agents of peace as we walk out in the world so that people can experience the love of Christ. Amen. Amen. And now on this week, now we're at at the Super Bowl. Have you heard about that? Right? You know what's going on? the big game, the big game. See, the Super Bowl was something that I even heard about up in eastern Canada, where it's the land of hockey. We play hockey year round. The ice is almost frozen year round, so it makes it a little easier. But my mom would actually have to pull me off of the street from playing street hockey to go to my piano lessons, you know. So, I guess she knew that I'd be better at piano than hockey, so, and that was true. But it was something that we even knew about, even way up in Newfoundland. And back in then, this is a shout out for you guys. We heard about this quarterback called Joe Montana. You ever heard of Joe Montana? You know who that is right. Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. So we had a bunch of hockey players who didn't have a football field that kept trying to throw footballs. And I think these footballs may have come from the Patriots. I don't think they're fully inflated today. But who, who wants a football to kind of practice with today? See if I can hit it up there. Did I get you up there? All right. Hey, Pastor Sean, can you help me throw these footballs out? I think you're a better football player than I am. How about over here? See, even growing up, we knew about Jerry Rice and the, and, the, and the amazing teamwork that happened between Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. And even then, we didn't really have Super Bowl parties. We didn't really know what that was about. But when I came to college, we had a Super Bowl party. And even back then, I wanted to go to a party. And I wasn't the best fan. The only people I knew I knew were Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. You know? I'll let my, I'll let my team talk to you later, okay? <laughs> They'll deal with that. But it's, that's all that I knew about. But I wanted to go to the party. It sounded very exciting to me. So I showed up because at a Super Bowl party, everybody's welcome, Right? So at the Super Bowl party, you have those diehard fans. Those are the people that they're glued to the TV. They're like, don't talk to me. I'm into the game. They're telling the coach what to do. How many of you are a diehard fan? You yell at the TV, right? You know who you are, okay? Some of my best friends are diehard fans. That's how I act when I watch hockey. But these are the diehards, and so they're there. But you also have the casual observer, the person, they're just there for the party. Someone invited them to be there. There's going to be free food there. And really, they're not so much there for the game as they are the friends. But when they really pay attention is when? It's during the commercials. They're there for the commercials. They're there for a good time. And they just want to be there. See, this is the aspect of a party. That's why the Super Bowl is, is the most watched sporting event in North America. And even throughout, I, I, I went in and I said, you know, what was the... What was the Super Bowl that had the highest TV ratings of all time? And do you know who played in that game? The Seahawks. 114.4 million people watched that game. Now, they were playing the Patriots and they lost that game. But everybody was watching it. Everybody was watching because everybody wants to be a part because there's power in that party. There's so much power in it that if you don't want to go to a party today, today is your best day to go skiing. If you look at Stevens Pass live cam, you'll see there's hardly anybody up there. You can get a great deal. Uh, If you want to go shopping today, you'll be front of the line. If you want to go to a coffee house today, you'll be front of the line because everybody wants to be at the party. Because, see, there's power in the party. There's power in gathering everyone together and celebrating that something awesome is about to take place. This is why Jesus was often found at a lot of parties, wasn't he? And it confused people because they were like, why is he there? Why is he going to parties with people? What is that all about? See, Jesus recognized the power that these gatherings brought, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. This is one of my favorite parties. It's found in Luke 5. We're focusing on verses 27 through 32, and this is the party at Matthew's house. Matthew's house. A story that is very personal to me. And as we read through this, I like Luke's rendition of it. And in this, you'll you'll see Matthew referred to as Levi. So every time you see Levi, just know we're talking about Matthew. So who's Levi? Matthew. You got it. Starting at verse 27, it says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. Who's that? Sitting at his tax collector's booth. Tax collector's booth. Already we kind of back off a little bit, don't we? And Jesus said to him, He said, Follow me and be my disciple. So Levi, who's Matthew, got up and he left everything and he followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, this is a tax collector's convention going on, okay? And other guests, other guests, they also ate with him. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Now, how many of you know there's nothing worse at a party than a bunch of whiners and complainers, right? But here was their complaint. Their complaint was, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Why do you eat and drink with such scum? But I love Jesus. Jesus answered them and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I've not come for the healthy. I've come for those who know they are sick, not those who think they are righteous. This was the response of Jesus. So as we look at this important gathering, this party that Jesus is the center of, as they are celebrating, there's three key things that I want to kind of pull out for you today. Three key things. First of all, the championship game, it changes everything. The championship game, it changes everything. Whether you win or lose, whatever side you're on, the championship game changes everything. That's the first thing. But second, I also want you to know us about the invitation that Jesus gave. Jesus gave an invitation, and he said, follow me. So we're going to talk about that. It's the invitation that changes everything. And then third, we need to look at our response. Because when we look at the big game, the party going on, the invitation that Jesus gave, what is our response to all this? How are we responding What's happening on this big day Amen So if you're ready to receive from the Lord just I invite you to turn your palms up Or just a sign of Jesus I'm ready to receive from you Lord We want to hear from you today On a day of celebration We celebrate you Our King of Kings Our Lord of Lords Lord help us to hear from you today To hear what you would speak to us In the middle of all of this In the middle of our culture In the middle of our lives In this moment so, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock, my king, my high place, my Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. amen, amen, amen. So let's start with the championship game. This is the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl, it changes everything. See, the championship game, this is the goal of every kid that ever started playing. I don't care what sport you played, you want to go to the championship. How many of you want to go to the championship, whatever sport you're in? This was an aspect of it. This is what the coach motivated you to do. Your coach was trying to get you to get to the championship whether it was football or whether it was hockey, whether you're following Joe Montana or whether you're following today Russell Wilson or the great Wayne Gretzky, hockey fans, right? Wayne Or Gordie Howe, whoever it is, Austin Matthews, you wanted to get to the championship. This is where you want it to be. See, the championship, it represented not just a medal that could hang around your neck, but it authenticated and gave valid to all the hard work that you did. See, for a team to get to the championship, it means that they're following their coach. They're listening to the coach. It means that they've worked hard on the plays. They've analyzed. They've analyzed their opponent. They know what's going on. And not only that, they've worked through by hard discipline to get in shape. And they've worked together on team unity. So many teams have been destroyed, and they forfeit the championship game because they couldn't get along together. That's an analogy for life, isn't it? So many things waiting for them, but they just couldn't get along they just couldn't be together. See, the championship, it recognizes that you've worked hard. And when you talk to people who they've been to the championship, they talk about how much they learned along the way and how different that championship game was from all the other games that they played. They learned so much. There's so much more going on. The pressure going in, how it brought them together as a team, how they helped each other, how they encouraged each other. There's a lot going on in every championship games. And then even afterwards, championship teams, they talk about the celebration, about how they celebrated, not just themselves, but they celebrated each other. They encouraged each other, and they invited others to be a part of it. So what does a Super Bowl, what does the big game represent for us? See, for us, it represents that we have been accepted to Team Jesus, that we have accepted the invitation, we've joined Jesus' team. Because when you are with Jesus, you're always at the Super Bowl. And that's that's a fact. Jesus never fails. Now, is it tough along the way? Yes. Do we have trials? We have struggles? Yes. There's so much that's going on, but when we are with Jesus, we are with the best coach who's calling the best plays, who knows everything. And even when we get into conflict, No one can bring us together like Jesus, because he knows everything. So who wouldn't want to be on a team like that? See, that's what it represents. And when we look at our passage today, we see somebody who had this desire, and it was Matthew. When you look at who Matthew was, Matthew was a Jewish man who was a tax collector. Think about that. He was a Jewish man who became a tax collector. And when you know about the history during that time, the taxation system was corrupt. Because tax collectors, they often skim something off the top, meaning that they overtaxed the people that they were taxing in order to make a wealthy living for themselves. And this is one of their own people. A Jewish man taxing his own people. Trading his own people to now work for Rome. See, in the eyes of the Jewish people, in the eyes of that area, this was somebody who betrayed their nation, but somebody who also betrayed their God. And in this passage, it says that he was by the sea. So most scholars and theologians, when they look at this, they say there's a high probability that this is the man who was taxing Jesus' disciples who were fishermen. So can you imagine walking up, seeing the taxation booth, Think about all the things that might be in your mind as you're looking. This is the person who's cheating you. This is the person who's taken money from your pocket that was meant to feed your children, meant to pay your bills. And he's, he's one of you, and he's cheating you. And you walk out with Jesus. Now, in my mind, I'd be thinking, all right, this is when Jesus is going to let him have it. He's going to correct him. He's going to bring justice. But what does Jesus do? he reaches out and says, follow me, Matthew. Think about all the things that may be going in your heart because when we look at scripture, it's important to take it personal. God has written you a personal letter and he's looking at Matthew by the sea, the one who was taxed, the one who was cheated his own disciples and now he wants him to be a part of our team? This guy is the enemy. He's not part of our team. Why would you invite him? But for one minute Switch over to Matthew's t- shoes. Can you imagine Matthew sitting there, taxing, just doing his job? Imagine what's going on in his heart. And then he hears about Jesus coming through. He had to have known the prophecies. He had to know what was going on in his life. And he sees Jesus approaching him. See, I have to believe, and many do believe, that it was in, G- it was in Matthew's heart To be with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. But imagine if that was you. Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. Look at his team. I've taxed those guys. Why would Jesus want me? Why would Jesus want to invite me in? And even if I did, for Matthew to step out from that, it would have meant... He's lost his wealth and his income from Rome, so now Rome wants nothing to do with him because he quit his job and walked away. So they don't like him. And he's going with the people that they view him as a traitor. These are people that, in all likelihood, that he cheated. So I'm leaving my wealth, I'm leaving my security, and I'm stepping out to go with the people that I've I've wronged. How does that happen? But see, Jesus, he saw this conflict and he offers Matthew a resolution. He looks at him and he invites him to follow. He invites him to take on this new identity. And this just wasn't some Beth and body coupon that came in the mail where you can get like 25% off or something. Imagine the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am looking you in the eyes, piercing through all of your guilt, all of your worry, All the things going on, and he's he's saying, I want you. I, I pick you. I know everything about you, and I want you. This is the invitation. This is the invitation that Jesus gave. And it's important that we don't miss the significance in this. Because, see, when Jesus was calling him, when Jesus was calling him as rabbi into this discipleship relationship, Jesus was now, he was breaking all norms once again where he was now opening the doors that even somebody like Matthew, a great sinner, a great traitor, someone that you avoid, I can call this person into this discipleship. See, discipleship used to be something that was meant for the elite. If you had the right GPA, if you had the right connections, you had to go to a rabbi and said, would you take me on as a disciple? I want to pursue you. I want to see what you do. Jesus is saying, Matthew, I pick you. I see worth in you. I see value in you. This was significant. And it was especially significant to the religious elite of that day. Because as we will find out later, they viewed Matthew as scum. Now what is scum? Do you like scum? If you have scum in your life, you want to get rid of it. Whether it's the ring around your bathtub, not ours, but whether it's the ring around your bathtub, (laughs) or whether it's scum on a pond. It represents a lack of health, a lack of cleaning, something you want to get rid of, something that's in your way, something that makes you filthy. This is what they called him. And Jesus is bursting on this scene, and he's pouring grace into Matthew's life and saying, Today, Matthew, I'm doing a miracle of grace because I'm calling you out what they define as scum. I'm defining as my treasure, and I'm pulling you in. I want you to drop everything and to follow me. Discipleship is not just for the elite anymore. Discipleship is for anyone that will come out to me, confess your sins, and come to me, follow me, put my yoke up on you, and let's walk this together. Let's begin a transformed life. Surrender your life to me, and anybody can do it. See, Jesus, he's extending the net. He's deepening his bench, and he's rescuing Matthew by doing something for Matthew that Matthew could never do for himself. Matthew was stuck. He felt trapped with Rome, and his only out was going to a people that he he figured, they hate me, they don't want me. But Jesus is rescuing him. And not only that, Jesus is reaching out to a man that nobody else was reaching out to. Who else was reaching out to Matthew? Who else reaches out to tax collectors? Hey, I got a little bit more for you. Is that how you're going to do your tax return this year? You know what? I I can give a little bit more on my taxes this year. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Nobody does that. Nobody's reaching for him. People are trying to spend as little time as they have to with him. And Jesus reaches out to him. It's important that we don't miss what Jesus is teaching here. See, Jesus is outlining our role now as followers of Christ. And here's what we need to catch. I believe that Jesus is telling us that we need to readjust our thinking towards perceived enemies in our life. Think about that. Jesus is speaking to us and he's leading us because as followers of Christ, we're now walking in his ways. And Jesus, early in his ministry, he's leading his disciples and he's teaching them to readjust their eyes towards perceived enemies in your life. How many of you have people in your life that oppose you? That you don't enjoy being around? You want to get in that meeting? You want to get out of that meeting? You want to mail it if you can? You want to just Facebook it if you can? Whatever. You want to defriend them if you can? You want to unfollow them if you can? Jesus is telling us, you need to readjust your size towards your perceived enemies. This is a call to love our enemies. Because, see, when we look at our enemies, we need to see them as God sees them. And how does God see every enemy in our life? He sees them as future team members. See, we see them as somebody to beat, somebody to score on, somebody to go, aha, justice was done today, you scumbag. But Jesus is going, we can save this person. We can pull this person in. We can redeem this person. Not only we, by we, he means I can. I'm Jesus. I'm Savior of the world. <laughs> See, many enemies have been transformed. Think about all the enemies that have been transformed into teammates. If you read the Bible, have you read about somebody called Paul? A persecutor of the church has killed Christians, those who are following Christ. Now turned, now transformed. This is the way of Christ. In Matthew's life, think about your own life. How many for you, you were, you were an enemy of the gospel. I think we've all been there to some degree. We've all led somebody down a wrong road. We've seen somebody who was pursuing Christ and we tried to make them stumble. We tried to tempt them. Or our life led them in a way that was confusing. God's saying, readjust your eyes readjust your eyes today because here's the key thing that we need to understand that with God failure is not fatal with God failure is not fatal how many can say amen to that and I don't care what your failure is whatever the failure is in your life it is never fatal I think that's why the Bible is so openly honest have you ever read the Bible and went I can't believe God put that in there I can't believe he left that in. Was there a good editor on this? That doesn't speak well for the body of Christ. So many things in here. But it's brutally honest because God is trying to show us time and time again that failure is not fatal with God. Now, failure with yourself is fatal. If you lean on yourself or you lean on anybody but God, fatal is leaning out there. But with God, failure is never fatal. That's why we have the stories and the lives of David. Did David fail? King David? King David! That story is in there. That life is in there. Think about Elijah or Peter or Matthew or Paul or us. The story that is being written in our life. Failure is. Is never fatal because there's always an invitation. There's an open invitation to everyone in humanity to come out to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is the invitation. I don't care how far you've gone because God knows. So failure is not fatal. And not only that, when we look at the lives of so many men and women, and even when we look around us today, we often see that those who had the greatest healing in their own life, have you seen how God now uses their own healing to be a vessel to go out and heal others? So he's taking your failure. It's no longer fatal. He's breathed life into it. He's poured his grace into it. And now he's rising it up, and he's using you to go find your people find those people, and now speak healing in their life in Jesus' name. You want to talk about a restoration? That's what Paul did. That's what we do in our lives. Think about an area in your life where you're going, I'm experiencing failure in this. I'm experiencing great sickness in this, and we bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, you need to help me. I need your healing today, and then the Lord speaks to you, and he begins to use you. He begins to use you on that path. We see it time and time again. Some of the greatest ministries and works of God that we have internationally are from people who experienced great failure in their life. They had great opposition. One of the ministry ventures that we support is Convoy of Hope. Hal Donaldson, the one who started this, Convoy of Hope, who does humanitarian efforts. They are at every hurricane, every disaster. They're going into areas and teaching indigenous people how to farm, how to take care of their land so that they won't just have food for a day, but they'll have food forever. He's teaching them all of this and bringing the gospel in, in Jesus' name. And people are finding Christ as he brings food security, clothing security, and all of it. Do you know Hal's story? He was hungry. His family struggled to put food on the table. When you study his story, you see about how growing up as a kid, he struggled. And not just the struggled, we ran out of cheese, oh no, what are we going to do in the Smith household? That's not his struggle. They were struggling, they were dependent on food that was given to them. And as he began to walk in God, something that could have embittered him, he could have said, you know what, God, if you really cared about me, you would have these cupboards full if you really cared about me, my dad wouldn't have died. That was his story. If you really cared about me, he could have walked down those lines and gotten bitter, but you know what he did? He continued to seek the Lord. And then as he was able, he started serving food out of the back of his pickup truck, just going around, well, maybe I can start feeding a few people. And God has taken that something that the enemy meant for harm to put bitterness in his life, and now it's an international disaster relief ministry all undergirded by the gospel where they come in and they feed people and they say Jesus has empowered all of this. Jesus has enabled all of this. And there are so many stories like that. This is the gospel of Christ And this is why we are called. We are called to stand out and to reach to the margins and to invite everybody in. It's great to have people around you here, but our eyes are always going out. Who feels left out? Who's not here? Who's broken today? Who needs some help today? Our eyes always go to the margins. The people that are trying to be avoided in our culture. And that knows no social class. That can be somebody begging on the street or it can be the tax collectors in our lives. We all put them at the margins, and Jesus is saying, pull them in. Pull them in. Pull them in. You may see them as enemies, or you may see them as too far gone, however you view them. I view them as potential teammates, future members of the body of Christ, of your family. These are your brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters. Does that put excitement in your life? To think about that work of God in your life? To think about that work that has eternal value? See, this is why it is so exciting in all of this. And that's why Matthew's response was a call for what? How did Matthew respond? He said, I'm throwing a great feast. I'm going to celebrate. Celebrate good times. There you go. Right? Everyone knows the celebration song. You want to celebrate. You want to be there. He's saying something incredible happened. And here's what the the Bible says in Luke 5. It says, Matthew made him a great feast in his house. Now, by great feast, okay, this just wasn't beanie weenies. This was an expensive meal that he paid for. Now, think about it. Matthew just left his wealthy job to walk following Jesus, who had no 401K, you know, They were dependent, following Jesus. And his response is, I'm doing a great feast. I'm going to call everybody together. Because he was excited about it. The Bible says that he invited a large company to come together. Do you see the transformation that's happened in Matthew's life that he's calling everyone to? So he invites this large company to come together. And here are the people who were there. Who was there? Well, Matthew was there, first of all. He was a changed life, and he's leading the celebration. He said, I can't believe it. He picked me. He picked me. Can you believe it? And you know who else Matthew invited? His tax collector friends. So if you don't like me, I'm going to put a whole bunch of me in the room with Jesus. Think about it. The people that he knew would be despised he called them all together and said look you're not going to believe what happened all the text collectors those that he knew the religious elite defined as scum along with them, because he knew that everyone had an opportunity so he had Matthew there changed life he invites all of his text collector friends everyone coming in and then the disciples were there because they were just followers of Jesus so wherever Jesus went they just kind of went along there and went okay here we go Did the disciples always understand everything that Jesus did? Do you always understand everything Jesus did? Do you always understand everything I do? Stephanie says no. (laughs) Following Jesus. The disciples were there. A front row going, this is going to be good. What's going to happen here? So we had Matthew. We had all of Matthew's text collector friends. And then we had the disciples who were following Jesus because he was there. But then we also see in this passage that the Pharisees and the scribes were there. These were the critics. These are the ones they weren't for this. Have you ever been to a party and you have people that are just complaining about everything? Man, these nachos are soggy. This soda's lost its fizz. I can't see the TV. Totally not celebrating. They were the only ones not celebrating. And at the center of it, Matthew places Jesus, the center of it all, the whole reason for coming together. And his presence at this party, everything else was significant, but Jesus being at the center of this party was very significant. Because in that culture, in that day, when somebody went to your house and they ate with you, they broke bread with you, they ate with you, whatever it was, it was a sign of acceptance. That meant, I accept you. So, when I eat with you, I'm going, I accept you. And it was also a call to intimacy. I want to know you. I want to know you. And Jesus was there in the middle of all the tax collectors. It's also important for us to realize that a feast in that day and eating in that day, as it is now today in the Middle East, it was not a drive through mentality. See a lot of times when we eat, we want to get in and get out, don't we? Right? Where's the best drive-through? Where's the cheapest drive-through? And even sometimes at night, we go in. We go, man, I just got a couple hours here, or maybe it's a potluck. Right? You're going to a graduation potluck. You're going through. You got to get your beanie weenies. You get a little sandwich. You get something to drink. And like, congratulations! And then we leave. Okay? We got another party to go to. That's not what this was. Parties in that part of the world back then, as it is today, these were long. You better sit down for a while. You better take it easy. I've been privileged to sit in meals with some friends of mine, and immediately you sense the whole pace slowing down. Have you ever been there? I love it. I love it. It's like, no, just sit down. I went to one friend's house, and he he, he was from Iran, and he made me turkey's coffee. I'd never had it before. Okay? So... And especially back then, I've grown in my, co- my coffee awareness to the glory of God. But um, especially back then, I thought coffee was just you put it on the brewer, you put it in, and you drink it, and it's there. So we're a half hour later, and there's still no coffee. And I'm like, where's dude, where's the coffee? Oh, it's still working on it. And the coffee was incredible. But it was worked on it. It was boiled down. It was very sweet. It was delicious coffee. See, Matthew was inviting them to a great feast, not just to eat, but to sit down and to go, you know, Jesus accepts you. Jesus loves you. He wants to get to know you. We're not in a hurry. It says they were reclining at the table. I wish I could eat on the floor all the time. Just reclining, laying down, talking, speaking about it. This was amazing. This was amazing. So why were the Pharisees and scribes? Why were they not celebrating? It's an amazing meal. Jesus is there. They wanted intimacy with Jesus. They wanted to know Jesus. So why were they not celebrating over this? They weren't celebrating because they didn't recognize Jesus as their coach. They didn't recognize Jesus as God. See, they wanted intimacy with Jesus, but they wanted intimacy on their own terms. Think about that. They wanted intimacy but they wanted it on their own terms. My way, my rules. And so that made them harden. It made them become critics. And even in their tactics. We find it from their tactics that they didn't go to this party to celebrate. They were at this party to protest. How many love having protesters at your party? Matthew transformed life. Following Jesus, and we have people showing up not to celebrate, but they're there to protest. And their tactic was division because their complaint was not even directly to Jesus. Instead, they went and they complained to his disciples. See, they were seeking to divide and to destroy Jesus' team, and they did that by going to him and questioning his actions. Why is he eating with these sinners? Why is he here? Have you ever had somebody go to somebody in your team to try to divide them and say, "Why are you there?" I, I don't think they know what she's what they're doing. I don't think she knows or he knows what they're doing. They're trying to divide the team. They're not going to the leader, but they're going to people in the organization, trying to seek dissension, trying to bring it down. This was the tactic that they were going to. And you know, as I've looked at this and thought about this, I began to recognize how Jesus was inviting the very ones that the Pharisees had rejected. The very ones they said, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to be a disciple. When someone picks up something that somebody has claimed as trash, maybe something you've thrown away, and they pick it up and they make a treasure out of it. How does that make you feel? Something you've thrown away, I've done this, I've thrown away stuff, and someone said, hey, if you're done with that, can I have that? Sure, it's just trash. And then they make something beautiful of it. Or not only that, you throw away something that you thought was junk and you find out that it was actually a vintage espresso maker that was worth more than you could ever imagine because it's the only one left. Now, I'm hoping for that. (laughs) But think about it. Think about how it makes you feel. I, I thought that was trash, I threw it away. But it was an amazing treasure worth more than I could ever imagine. This is what Jesus did on a regular basis. Amen. People that were thrown in his trash, he pulled them in, and a transformation took place in their life Amen. and in their families and in those around them. What is going on in your heart when that happens? I think one of the things that would go on to my heart would be jealousy. Why didn't I see that? And I think another thing that would happen to my heart would be Guilt. You know that you were wrong. Jesus just proved you were wrong. This is my masterpiece. I just got to buff it up a little bit. It's got to shine it up a little bit. It's got to transform it. And how do we respond to guilt in our life? When we know, you know what? When we see that happening, we typically respond in two ways. The way that we should respond when we're guilty, how many of you have been guilty in your life? Okay, okay. When we're guilty, our response should be repent and restore. So when I'm guilty of something, I should be going to my wife or to you or to somebody and go, you know what, I recognize that was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. Repent and then walk in restoration. That's the way of Jesus. You repent and you restore. You repent, you're restored. And you get stronger and stronger through that process every time. There's a difference in, be, in confessing and getting caught. I tell my kids this. If you come and you confess to me, man, there's a lot of grace because I see your heart. I know you want to make things right. And I know we're walking on the right path. And this is a good thing. Confession is a good thing because we can restore. But if I catch you, now I'm wondering are you really sorry? Are you really going to be wanting to walk the right way? Or now do I need to watch you more? So confession is good. Let me say this confession is good. We need to be confessed. Confess to one another so we can be restored. But sadly, what we often choose to do instead of confession is we reject and we get revenge. We reject it, we suppress the guilt, and we reject it, and we revenge, and then we often say to ourselves and to others, I'll show you. You are not going to call me out like that. You are not going to do that to me. Even though you were in the wrong, we reject and we turn to revenge, and this is rampant in our culture. When we should be about repenting and restoring, it's rejection and revenge, but that's not the way of Christ. That is not the way of Christ. But unfortunately, the the Pharisees and the scribes, they were after validation, not transformation. See, God is not out to validate what you do. I never had a coach that tried to validate all my wrong plays, all my misplays. My coach never validated when I stayed up late the night before and showed up to the game tired. My coach was out to transform me. And so the next time, he'd be like, boys, we had a game Saturday morning. What are you doing Friday night? What time are you going to bed Friday night? He said it much more directly than that. Because he was out to restore us and to redeem us. This is the way of Christ. But because they wanted intimacy on their own terms, the Pharisees were guarding the doors Instead of opening the doors. Instead of opening the doors to everybody, Jesus came and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's opened the door and saying, come on in through me. The Pharisees were caught and they were guarding the doors. He's saying, no, open the doors. See, we guard the truth, don't we? You guard the truth. You stand up for the truth. You protect the truth. But you open the doors and say, come on in. This is the truth. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So come on in. Come on in. Everyone is welcome. We guard the truth, but we do not guard the doors. We open the doors. Because Jesus has called everyone to come on to him. Is for everyone. And this is why Matthew's party, it was such a success. He was a changed life. He was celebrating. He was inviting everybody. Everyone come on in. I got a big meal. I'm paying for it. This might be the last meal I can afford probably. But everyone come on in. Look what Jesus did. Look what he called me to. So as we wrap this up today, I want you to ask yourself, As the worship team comes on up, who are you at the party today? As you're thinking about the big game party, who are you? Does your life reflect the life of Matthew, who's transformed and now he's calling all of his buddies together and saying, I want you to meet Jesus. There he is. Here he is. Or are you one of the disciples? You're following along and you're trying to figure all this out today. You're going, yeah, this looks cool, Jesus, but what does this mean? How do we figure this out? Maybe you're the skeptic today. And you're criticizing everything. You're criticizing the body of Christ. Wherever you go, anytime it's not on your terms, you're just Criticize, complain, 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 complain. Or maybe you're one of Matthew's friends and you're going, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. I mean, can we all stand together? Let's all stand together. And I invite you just to close your eyes, just to shut off the world. There's gonna be a lot of excitement happening later today, but right now, I believe the Lord wants to speak to your heart. In order to have privacy, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, reveal to me who I am. This is what David prayed. David said, reveal to me my unknown sin. Is there something that I'm blind to? Maybe today, maybe a lot of us in this room today, we find ourselves in the position of a disciple that we've lost the ability to celebrate. Believe in Christ, following Christ. I know Christ, but I've lost my ability to celebrate. I'm no longer reaching to the margins. I'm no longer befriending people who don't believe the same way I do. I'm no longer be- befriending people who are different from me. And maybe today your response is, Lord, speak your servant is listening. Use me. Help me to befriend those, to guard the truth, but to open the doors to open the doors to invite you in to befriend those that are around me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, Lord, that's me. Help me to learn how to celebrate. Help me to regain proximity to those that are lost. Just hold your hand up and lift it up and keep it up proud. This is family. I'm always praying for proximity. (laughs) I'm always praying for new friends. Lord, give us boldness. You fill us with your spirit to give you bold to give us boldness. To fill us with love. Help us, Lord. Or maybe today you find yourself and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and convicting you of your criticism. Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. Why is this happening? And maybe today your your response is, Lord, forgive me of my criticism. Help me to engage with what you're doing. We're heading into a what I believe will be a powerful season throughout our city and throughout our nation. And the Lord is looking out and saying, will you be a part of it? Are you willing to follow me at all costs, whatever it takes, following Jesus at all costs? And this is part of it. Jesus was always gathering to gather people. And maybe today you just lift your hand and say, Lord, forgive me of my, my criticism. Help me to celebrate. Just lift your hand to the Lord. Lift your hand to the Lord, or maybe today you're one of Matthew's friends, and you're—you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And today you are here, and you've heard the voice of the Lord calling out, speaking to you, saying, "I see you. I see everything you've done, and I pick you. I choose you. I want you. I made you. Would you come to me?" So someone here today, you raise your hand and go, that's me. I want to choose Christ today. I want to choose Christ today. Hmm. Amen. As the worship team leads us, let me invite you, however you respond to that, let me encourage you to respond in several ways. We have prayer team around the sides. Go and pray with them. It's important for us to talk to people, to share it with people, to let it come to life in us. Whether you're struggling today, whether you want to rededicate or you want to give your life to Christ today, you're going, I need prayer for that that celebration in me, that transformation in me. I need my eyes to be realigned, to see my enemies, not as enemies, but as future members of the body of Christ. Maybe today you're ready to surrender your life to Christ. Go to one of these prayer team people. Turn to the person next to you and say, would you help me? Would you help me? We need to know and guard the truth, but we need to open the doors. Amen? Amen. Let's respond to this today as the worship team leads us.